You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. Turn with me to Judges chapter 13 while they're making their way out. Judges chapter 13. Over the next two weeks, uh, we're going to wrap up our series on theophanies that we've entitled The Lord Came Down, and we need a visit from the Lord. Uh, And we've only been dealing with the theophanies that were in the flesh, like a human appearance. You know, all theophanies are appearances of God in the Old Testament, but they're not limited to a physical human appearance. There are a host of other appearances of God in the Old Testament, the burning bush, uh, fire and smoke and clouds and so on. So I may circle back to those one day, but we're gonna wrap up the human appearances, uh, the human appearance theophanies in the Old Testament, hopefully today and maybe next week. And this hasn't been an exhaustive uh, study. There's a couple of it I've left out, but uh, all of these theophanies have one thing in common. And that's that they foreshadow the ultimate theophany, the appearance of Jesus Christ in the flesh in the New Testament where he gave his life for us. And we know uh, in part that Jesus was in the Old Testament because 1 Corinthians 10 verse 1 says this. This is an amazing passage. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. He's talking about, he's not talking about Google or Dropbox. He's talking about, he's talking about the cloud that hovered and what went with them. And all passed through the sea, uh, verse four, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. So that's the Old Testament. Paul saying Jesus was there, right? Uh, Jude one, verse five says, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, who saved them? Jesus. That's what he says in Jude 1 verse 5. Afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. That's a reference to Sodom and Gomorrah. So Jesus was saving and judging in the Old Testament. So he's definitely present based on the authority of the New Testament. So how is it that God... Uh, who Paul says is the invisible God, how can he appear in the flesh to eat with Abraham, to be spoken to face to face as a man speaks to his friend by Moses, and to even be wrestled with uh, by Jacob last week, right? Well, I think Colossians 1.15 may explain this. He is the image of the invisible God. So Jesus makes the invisible visible, right? Even in the Old Testament, John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've beheld His glory as only, only begotten from the Father. John chapter 14, verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. There's the Trinity right there, right? So what's it matter that the invisible God has made himself visible to his people? And this is what this whole series has been about. Church, in the most tangible way possible, those theophanies, those Christophanies are demonstrating the disposition of God toward us. This is his disposition. Though he's invisible, he's not hiding, all right? 
He wants to be known by us. He wants uh, us to be with him so much so that he'll even wrestle with us if he has to, to sanctify us, to comfort us, to encourage us in our souls. Listen to the promises that God made in the Old Testament, Leviticus 26. And this is just my intro, verse 11. I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you or hate you. And I will walk among you and I will be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God. Ezekiel 37, verse 27. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 2 Corinthians 6, 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, and as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. Theophanies reveal that God's heart longs to be present with us physically, visibly, and inseparably. And so we come to the last theophany, Christophany, of this series in Judges chapter 13. It's actually two for the price of one, two theophanies for the price of one. All right, so let's read this together, Judges 13. These are the words of God, the more important than anything else I'm going to say today. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you're barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. He shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman uh, came and told her husband, a man of God came to me and his appearance was like the appearance of an angel of God. Very awesome. I didn't ask him from where, where he was from and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, behold, you'll conceive and bear a son. So don't drink wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah, verse 8, prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us. This is two theophanies, right? Teach us what we are to do with this child who, who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. I love it when the scripture says that the Lord listens. And the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who, who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life? What's, what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I've said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink, strong, drink wine or strong drink or any, uh, eat any th unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, if you detain me, I, I'm not going to eat your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah didn't know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. And this is similar to the other theophanies. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name? 
seeing it is wonderful. So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die for we have seen God. And his wife said to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering in our hands or shown us all these things or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtaol. May God bless the reading of his word. I want to ask Ken Daniels to come and ask God's blessings on our message today. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for the blessings that you give us and the blessings that you've answered through the prayers for Dwayne and, and the Swindells and everybody in the church. And we want to come to you and soften the hearts of everybody here today and open their ears so they can receive your word and come to you as your Lord and Savior. In Christ's name, amen. 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 All right, so church throughout the Bible... Uh, and since the fall of man, God's had one major conflict with us, all right? And that conflict is explained in three unchangeable truths of God, all right? And these are those three uh, biblical truths that are unchanging. Number one, God's holiness, which demands perfection. Number two, God's justice, which demands penalty. And number three, God's love, which demands propitiation, meaning intervention. <laughs> Somebody's got to pay that penalty, right? And I'm not talking about holiness, practically perfect in every way, holiness. I'm talking about literally, actually spotless. And I'm not talking about justice that's like lessening the consequences for good behavior. I'm talking about actual bloodshed. And I'm not talking about love that's louder than our sin and death. I'm talking about a love that literally takes those two things away, right? All of the activity in the Bible revolves around those three truths. We cannot separate those truths of God from any circumstances in which we find ourselves, right? He's holy, he's just, and he's loving. And that's the driving force of this kind of part two. Uh, this will be a two-part sermon um, of, of which this is the first part today. But we're looking at today a sinful spiral. Judges chapter 13 verse 1, which is going to be really where we camp out today. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. So I'm going to talk about four telling words in this verse that set the context for the the next chapters of Judges. And the first is this word, again, again. Listen, God's people were not stuck in a loop like Groundhog Day or, or Edge of Tomorrow or 51st Dates, whatever it is. They weren't always coming back and improving on their outcome with every educated reboot, 
You know, you think we'd be smarter, right? They weren't learning and growing in each every day. That's not what the book of Judges is about. We got a picture of this cycle of Judges, uh, which is a downward spiral that I believe culminated uh, in Judges 13. First, God's people would enjoy prosperity, but then they would sin. They begin to act wickedly. Then God would send nations to oppress them and enslave them. And then the people would cry out to God for help. Then God would send a judge to lead them, mostly militarily. Then they would have a victory, mostly militarily. And then they would have a time of peace and prosperity before it all started happening again. And there were actually 12 judges, 12 cycles of judges that were set off by the death of Joshua in Judges chapter 2. And in verse 10, it wasn't just Joshua who died. It says, all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Church, listen. Again and again and again, they start the sinful spiral downwards. A, A spiral that began with just one generation failing to pass down the glorious truths and victories and answered prayers of God. I loved this morning, uh, every first Sunday of the month, you men are welcome to come to a men's breakfast at 8 a.m. in the gym. We always have someone share their testimony. Next month, uh, Luke Kendall's gonna be sharing his testimony, but today was Jimmy Turner, and he talked about the faithfulness of the Lord, how he identifies the faithfulness of the Lord. And if you're not talking about these things, something's wrong. These are the same verses we read at every baby dedication in our church. We have a responsibility dating back to Deuteronomy chapter four, verse nine, which says, take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life, make them known to your children and your children's children. So we know parents and grandparents drop the ball somewhere. So God help us not to drop the ball, pick it up. It's never too late to pick the ball up and pass it on, all right? So what happened? Judges 2, verse 11, God's people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Verse 12, they abandoned the Lord, went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. Again, Judges 3.12, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel. That king probably thought he was a bad dude. Man, I'm an awesome king. No, God was strengthening you to bring judgment against his people. (laughs) Just saying. And uh, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Again, Judges chapter 4, verse 1, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Again, Judges 6, verse 1, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. Again, Judges 8, verse 33, as soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Bereth their God. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hand of their enemies on every side. And then we come to Judges 13, verse 1. And the people of Israel, what? Again. The people of Israel, what? Again. 
Again, church, one of the most humiliating words in our lives as Christians, as people of God, is that word, isn't it? Again. I messed up again. And I think God's making a point here with the whole book of Judges is kind of culminating with Samson. Second word, and we'll, write, we'll tie a bow on this in a minute, but the second word is sight. Judges 13, one, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. This is more grievous than some, uh, oops, my bad. <laughs> Sorry about that. This is exhausting. This is inciting God to intervene. Proverbs 15, verse three. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Psalm 66, verse 7, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Job 34, verse 21, for his eyes are on the way of a man and he sees all his steps. Psalm 139, verse 2, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Psalm 139, verse 1, O Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Jeremiah 6, verse 15. And this one's kind of a fish out of water here, but I wanted to share it because it represents our hearts sometimes. Were they ashamed when they committed an abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed. They didn't even know how to blush. Church, listen. We live in a nation that does not blush. They don't just sin. They condemn you if you don't support their sin. They don't even know how to blush. Praise God for Christians who still blush over sin and wickedness. I want you to think about this. Our God has seen everything. God, you've seen everything. You've seen everything that I do. You've seen everything that I've watched. You've seen everything that I say, everything that I think. The images, the anger, the lust, the greed, the selfishness, the wickedness. God, help us. The things he has seen us do. He knows you better than your spouse knows you or your mama knows you. That's how much God knows you. Our marriages, they seem so perfect <laughs> until our fight bubbles over into the driveway, right? Our finances seem so stable until a check bounces or a card declines, which would be great if you were out of town. You could use that as an excuse. But when it's the local Walmart, you kind of can't say, well, I guess they didn't know I was traveling <laughs> from a mile away, all right? I guess that's one advantage of self-checkout. They'll never know when your card declines, all right? <laughs> A spouse caught looking at porn, a parent reading your sinful text, a cop pulling you over on the street that you live on. <laughs> we hate to be exposed, don't we? Boy, we hate it. We all sinned. We're all wicked, but we hate it when it's exposed. It's embarrassing. But here's the thing. We've forgotten that we already are. We're exposed. John 3, 19 says, and this is the judgment 
The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and doesn't come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Not so for the Christian, I pray. We come running to the cross for forgiveness. Judges 13, one, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Friend, listen, there will never be a sin that you commit, a thought that you have, a lustful look, a a second glance, a financial decision, a word, a thought, a deed, something you neglected to do. There'll never be a sin that you commit or omit that God won't see. He sees it. And ironically, he still loves you. Third word, gave. This is a kind of an odd word to me. The Lord gave them into the hand of Philistines. Gave sounds like something good, right? Which really it is, right? And it has a variety of meanings, but it's, it's here, this word gave or delivered into the hands of the Philistines. That word represents the action by which something is set going or actuated. It also has a technical meaning in the theory of law, meaning to hand something over to someone. For example, uh, in Genesis 23, verse 9, to pay. In weddings, what do we say? Traditionally, if the parents are still alive, the the father will walk the bride down and he'll say, and the, the, the pastor, the officiator will say, who gives this woman to be married to this man? Her mother and I. They gave her away and it's as if God is saying you were to be my bride but you want another groom don't you you want another groom okay I'm going to let you have the groom that you think you want I'm going to give it to you enter the Philistines is this the groom you want well then you can have it church with all the power and the judgment and the righteous anger that God possesses He is still a gentleman. He's a gentleman. He does knock on the door of your heart. He does draw people to himself, but he's a gentleman. And there are many times, God help us, that he gives us what we want. But our refusals have a limit. And it's a fearful thing to be handed over, uh, to be given what our flesh is craving. And so sometimes gave them over can be used uh, to signify putting or placing someone into custody, 2 Samuel 14, 7, or into prison in Jeremiah 37, 4, or even of destroying something in in, uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 30. But here I think it just means to give them over as if to sell them like the idols they worshiped in Judges 10, verse 7. Romans 1, 21 is a great passage. It says, for although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity and to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And so the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines. It's not just that he gave them, it's where he gave them into, right? And by the way, this is the third time the Philistines had been used by God to oppress Israel. And we haven't seen the Philistines for three chapters, but then they pop back up. They hadn't gone away yet. And scholars say that Philistines were an aggressive, whoremongering people who harassed and oppressed Israelites, uh, often invading their territory for two centuries, Right? They worshiped three gods, the Ashtoreth, uh, Dagon, and Beelzebub. 
right? Each of which had shrines in various cities. You can see in Judges 16, 23, 1 Samuel 31, 10, 2 Kings 1, verse 2. Archaeological findings show that Philistine soldiers often carried their gods with them into battle. And I'm getting to a point in all this. Uh, by the way, they were, they were, the, they were some of the inventors of, of drunken, week-long drinking parties. They were real proud of their alcohol. And uh, though I don't think drinking is a sin, I do think some of us, uh, there are many Christians who love it just a little too much. The Old Testament shows around the 13th century BC during the days of Samuel and Samson, Philistines moved inland from the coast of Canaan and built their civilization primarily in five cities, Gaza, Eshkelon, Ashdod, Gath, and Ekron. This is over in Joshua 13, verse 3. And, and, and why am I telling you all this, <laughs> right? Here's what I don't want you to miss. These cities were each governed by a king or a lord, which comes from the Hebrew word seren, which is often rendered as tyrant, right? Of course, in the end, the Philistines would assimilate uh, into the Canaanite culture and they would disappear basically from biblical and historical record. They did leave behind uh, Palestine, which is a testimony to their existence. And my point is this, Israel wants to be like other nations so badly that they're gonna beg for a king eventually. This is the last, Samson's last of the judges and after him comes Saul, right? It's like, I'm trying to tell you, I mean, these judges ain't even working out good for you. What do you think a king's gonna do? And so I believe God was giving them a, a preview of a tyrant. That would have been a good title, sermon title, The Preview of a Tyrant. By the way, it was a 40-year preview, <laughs> double of any other uh, slavery or enslavement that you'll find in the book of Judges. The longest one in Judges was 20 years until you get here. The last one, he hit them hard, 40 years. Church, sometimes God gives us what our flesh wants and it never ends well. Galatians 5.17 says this, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. We need opposition from the spirit of the Lord or we're going to find ourselves in captivity to the very things we think we want. They've become our captive. Well, or captor, last word, 40, all right? So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. And let me just say that Samson, uh, he's gonna wrap things up, then they're gonna get a king, but the focus of the message this week and next week is not on Samson's uh, failures as much as the temporary nature of their captivity. That's what I want you to see. Now, I know it was double <laughs> what, what they had previously gotten, but it's only a tenth. You could argue less than a tenth of the time they spent in Egypt, right? 40 is not forever. Isaiah 57, verse 15, for thus says the one whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit. You want to know where God dwells? Well, if you have a humble heart, lowly spirit, he dwells with you. To revive the spirit of the lowly 
and to revive the heart of the contrite, for I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry, for the spirit would grow faint before me and the breath of life that I made. Because of the iniquity, verse 17, I hid my face and I was angry, but he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. I have seen his ways. This is a great verse. Isaiah 57, verse 18. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him. Verse 19, peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord. Verse 20, but the wicked, that's another story. They're like the tossing sea. It cannot be quiet. Its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Ain't no rest for the wicked. They write songs about this verse. Psalm 85 verse 3 though says, you withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. There is a sinful spiral and friend, you were born on a downhill slope. <laughs> it's called the depravity of man. But we're not destined for wrath. You can trust Christ today and you can get off the slide. <laughs> and you can let Jesus be your king. Because we're going to see next week that one of the strongest men in recorded history ain't going to be enough to maintain peace. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9. I'm going to, I'll end with this as we enter into the Lord's Supper. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we're awake like we are now, we sang the song, uh, Hunter and the praise team, in the land of the living... I will sing of the mercies of the Lord in the land of the living. We're alive. This is the land of the living, especially if you call on the name of the Lord. And so whether we are awake or asleep, dead, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And one way we do that, uh, encourage one another, is through the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. He's eating this supper with his own betrayer. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So if you're a born again believer, we have open communion. Even if you're not a member of our church, you can partake in the Lord's Supper with us today. And if you're not, I just ask you, warn you from scripture to not partake of it. All right? But if you do know the Lord, in a minute I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. And after I get through praying, uh, you're going to make your ways to one of the five uh, Lord's Supper tables throughout the worship center. Take two cups. If you're a guest with us, take two cups. There's, the cups are stacked on top of each other. One of the cups on the bottom uh, on the bottom has the bread. The cup on the top has the wine. Take both cups back to your seat. And you know, just remember that God took this supper knowing he was about to be betrayed. And, um, and he, he died for you.
Why don't you stand? After we take the Lord's Supper, I'm going to come down front and we're going to all stand back up for a time of response. So after I pray, take the cups, return to your seat, spend some time with the Lord, and then we'll have our time of invitation. Father God, we love you and we ask you to bless these elements. Father God, you, know, you knew that Judas had betrayed you and you still loved him. And you know, you knew before we sinned, Romans 5, 8, while we were sinning, you died for us. And so God, we pray that as we take these elements, this bread symbolic of the body that was beaten and the flesh uh, and the blood that was poured out as your side was pierced and the blood flowed. Father, we know what you've done and we thank God that you didn't stay in the tomb. You are not on the cross. You are risen from the dead and you are victorious over sin and death and you're our only hope for resisting temptation. You're our only hope to jump off the spiral of sin. And so God, we don't want a king, not on this earth. We don't want a Lord on this earth. Our king is Jesus. We surrender, we vote for you every day. <laughs> when we put our faith in you, God, you voted for us when you died on the cross. You surrendered your life so that we might have life in you. So I pray, God, that as we take the Lord's Supper, those that don't know you would be drawn to call on the name of the Lord. And as we have our time of invitation afterwards, that people who may want to join this church and become members, they already know Christ and have been baptized. Maybe they haven't been and they want to uh, join the church through baptism. I pray they'd come and do that today. In your name, amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.piperdenbaptist.com.